Dive in, dig deeper, explore the word, preach the gospel, glorify God. All of these are things you will find in the PMC podcast. Join myself, Josh Schwartz-Trooper, and my co-host, Nate Raber, as we look at our latest sermons, hear testimonies of those in the faith, and dive into the Word of God to see what it has for us. Each week on the PMC Podcast, our goal is to help you in your walk with the Lord. We are all on this journey together and are not meant to walk alone. So get out your Bible, find a comfy place to sit, and join us for this week's episode. All right, welcome to the PMC Podcast. I'm Josh Schwartz-Trooper, joined here with Nate Raber, and we are here to discuss God's Word today, and uh, like usual, just see where God leads us. Nate, how are you doing today? Pretty good, pretty good. Enjoying my e-learning time. Excited to see the kids back tomorrow. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad that the e-learning is going to be over and we can see the kids' faces again. Virtual learning. Awesome. Uh, I didn't think that my job could get easier as a PE teacher, and it has. So did say that out loud. We're not, yeah, we're not gonna, we're not gonna get into that here today. But uh, we are gonna talk about God's word. What were you guys uh, tuned in for? And uh, first off, we'll start off with just kind of our uh, normal starting segment there. Just what is God doing in our lives? What's He showing us in the different things that we're going through? And uh, Nate, you know, I usually make you go first, but I'll go first today. Okay. So you can have some maybe time to think about what God's actually done, or if I've you've actually. Really, so. Oh, you're prepared. All right, That's nice. Uh, so I'll go ahead and start. Uh, I've been listening to over the last couple of days. I've been doing some different things, but just in the last couple of days, I started a uh, sermon series by Alistair Begg, and uh, he's talking about Joseph and so lessons in the dungeon. And the first sermon that he did, uh, I thought was phenomenal, and he was talking about. Uh, Joseph and just having an eternal mindset and a God-centered, gospel-centered mind when it came to everything that Joseph was doing in his life, um, from being thrown into slavery from his, from his, from his brothers to um, being tempted by Potiphar's wife to being left by uh, you know the cupbearer to the king and then also being presented to the king to uh, interpret dreams. Everything that Joseph did... He responded in a God-centered way, and um, in in uh, Alistair Begg's sermon, his main purpose was that we're looking always for what is my purpose here on earth. He said that's always just a question that people always ask themselves, and he went through all the different uh, philosophers and you know just different people that try to explain exactly what's going on and their purpose in life, and he said that our purpose is to have a God-centered life. And when we have that God-centered life, every situation that we get put into, every situation that uh, gets thrown our way, we can look at it in, in, through the eyes of God and understand that this is a momentary affliction and that we can respond in a godly way when we have a God-centered mind. Because if we don't, then, it's in, then it can be hard for us to respond in the right way. And most of the time we'll respond sinfully if we're not making sure that we're centered where we need to be. So Joseph, a, a great example. I'm also reading in Daniel right now. I'm in Daniel chapter 9, and to see how Daniel handles adversity and uh, different circumstances thrown his way is another example. We talked about Paul today in our Bible study, another guy that was so God-centered that not even death scared him or imprisonment or anything. He was so God-centered. So for me, it's, it's, it's taking away the distractors that are going around and focusing on God and what he's doing, his sovereignty, resting in that, 
resting in my election, um, I think is another thing, just being thankful for that and understanding that anything that goes on around me, whether it be COVID, uh, death of loved ones, whatever it may be, I don't have to waver because I place my faith on the rock, which is Christ Jesus, and, and that helps me push through. So that's kind of what God's been showing me, more, to be more God-centered, gospel-centered in my life. And uh, yeah, so Nate, what do you got? I just started a book uh, by MacArthur called it The 12 Ordinary Men, and it, it goes through each, each chapter as a, talks about a different disciple. Oh, cool. Jesus. And so it started, started out with Peter, of course, and I mean, Peter was this brash, like, mm-hmm. very, very opportunistic, very wanted to, to fix things himself type of guy, even, you know, to the point where he cuts off a Roman... Roman slave or yeah. soldier's ear because like he just he was like the guy that needed to do something to do things yeah um, but then the chapter on John I, I mean I had, I had never never really kind of dug into the disciples but the chapter on John MacArthur made a really good point like he was kind of like Peter in this sense where son of thunder yeah him yeah. and James were the sons of thunder right yeah. and so uh, in, in Luke 9 after Jesus goes to a Samaritan village and they don't really receive it him and James are like hey you want us to like call down some <laughs> yeah. fire, you know, yeah. like you want us to d- destroy this. And so, which is interesting because we're going through first John today and listening to first John through our sermon series and listening to John and here you think he's like this big softy, like that's where I was big getting, love guy. That's, that's where I was getting was, you know, John and, and I guess what, what God's taught me is, is maturing. Yeah. Does happen, right? It doesn't happen overnight. And we can see with John, it, it definitely doesn't happen overnight, but he goes from, you know, wanting to wanting to call down basically the fire of heaven yeah. to destroy a Samaritan village to when he's writing first John in his in his very, very old age, you know, my dear little children. And, yeah. and, and he's all about love. All about love. Uh, and one thing that 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 MacArthur pointed out was the Gospel of John and, and the three letters. Last week or two weeks ago we talked about how John uses the word abide a lot. Yeah. But he also uses the word truth a lot. Yes, he does. And, and so in, the, in our scripture today, you know, this is how we know we belong to the truth and how our, sets of, or how our hearts are rest at, at rest in his presence. So, you know, I don't remember the exact number, but he uses the word truth more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And so tying into to Paul this morning, you know, John uses the word truth. And I think MacArthur said, like, after he reads a bunch of John, like, he needs to go to talk to Paul. To get some love and reassurance, yeah. because John, you know, John says, "Hey, you know, if you know the dark, if you know the light, and you still have darkness, like you're not a believer. Yeah. Like it's pretty cut and dry. There's not a whole lot of gray area for yeah. John. And so, if you read John a lot, you're like, man, I, I'm not there. Like I, yeah. there's still sin. And so you got to go talk to Paul. And Paul is and reassuring, see, yeah. like, hey, this is a process. Like yeah. I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what it, like yeah. even I, 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 even I as Paul do this. A righteousness found in Christ. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's cool to have this, this opera, you know, we see John go from this brash, you know, sons of thunder. There's a reason yeah. he was called that. To this older, gentler guy, but he's still got that truth, kind of the, the rigidness of his youth. Yeah. Where he brings out and, and says, you know, if you. You aren't of the truth. Like if you're not in God, if you're if you're if your mind isn't of God, then you're not of God. Basically. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it's cool how the the New Testament and these different writers, yeah, kind of play off each other because we know there's not truth. contradicting no, each other. We know there's truth. Yeah. And we know there's grace. Yeah. And so, with John, his truth, 
Paul hits grace. Yeah. And James hits works. And yeah. Paul hits, hits faith. Yeah. So we can see all these things kind of working together and piecing together into what we call the gospel. But like I said, you know, when we're looking at Paul today, it, he hits truth a lot. And that's, yeah. and that's, I think, important in even today's church. I think the church has moved a little bit further to Paul. Further, to, towards grace, yeah. Towards grace, towards, you know, love, freedom. Yeah. And I think we've got away from from John, you know, it's like I said, it's there's not a whole gray area. Yeah. It's, set, it's cut and dry. Mm-hmm. If you are of the light, yeah, you sh- you're going to put off sin. And mm-hmm. if you still sin, then you're not of the light. Absolutely. Well, I'm interested to see where you progress and hear more about this uh, book by MacArthur. I've started a book called Slave, The Hidden... The Hidden Truth About Your Identity in Christ, I got it for my birthday for my wife, and then another book I got from her was The Tale of Two Men by John MacArthur, and it's basically um, expounding on the on the parable of uh, the prodigal son. So, uh, two awesome books. Any book by John MacArthur I would recommend. I got a book for, I hope my brother-in-laws aren't listening, Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, for Christmas, it's called The, the Disciplines of a Godly Man, and uh, I got a copy for myself, so after I'm done with... Um, my disciples book I'm going to start that one John MacArthur on my books called Slave it says best selling author of 12 ordinary men and 12 extraordinary women so he actually has a, a flip side there where he's probably uh, Disciples of a Godly Man is written by R. Kent Hughes you okay. can find it anywhere you buy books I guess huh? <laughs> wherever you can buy it at a bookstore uh, well, people I go to bookstores anymore I haven't been to bookstores in a long time yeah. like I, I'm on Amazon right yeah now, there's a lot of but you can get it. You can get anything on Amazon. Yeah. Anything. Uh, Charles Swindoll said this is an outstanding volume. Oh. I mean. I mean, Swindoll. I mean, he's. Piper said to open this book and find something. Oh, so. seriously, the biblical call of to agonizing the enter to enter the kingdom, and boxing and sweating like a champion to get victory over sin is the most refreshing thing I could have set my eyes on. Wow. Maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe we need to add a segment where we highlight a book. Well, I Each mean, we week, we just did that today, so I guess. Well, I don't. well, there we go. So there's some some reads for you if you got any readers out there. Uh, Slave by John MacArthur, uh, Tale of Two Men by John MacArthur, Twelve Ordinary Men, Twelve Extraordinary Women, and then uh, uh, Knowing God by Packer. I just got. Done oh yeah, with Knowing God by man, Packer. That's, that's you just got done deep, with that. That's a deep read. Yes, that's that's a good one. Um, man, I can, I can get all sorts of stuff out there. I just keep listing books. One of my favorite books, The Pastor's Soul by uh, Brian Croft. And uh, Jim, what's his last name? Sabastito. That's not how you pronounce it. Sabastito? Just because it's Italian doesn't mean you have to like it. Zucchero, pepperoni. All right, so let's uh, dive into the scripture today. Kevin preached this past Sunday on the second part of loving one another, verses 19 to 24. And it says, By this we shall know that we are the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandment abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. I thought I wasn't there Sunday, but I uh, just this morning watched Kevin's message 
on um, this particular thing. I thought Kevin did an excellent job of there at the beginning distinguishing between the heart and the conscience. Conscience, you know what what what's the difference there? And um, Kevin, you know, brought up that in a lot of commentaries. People will use the heart and conscience as kind of interchangeable type of, of things. And Kevin kind of argued there that, you know, he kind of looks at those as two different things. You know, as the heart being, he, he used the example of, you know, the our heart's what keeps us alive. You know, it pumps blood, uh, ox, carries oxygen throughout the whole body, pumps blood to different parts of the body. Like without our heart, obviously we couldn't live. So, you know, he talks about how that's this, the center of the body and how that becomes the center of our um, relationship with Christ. Like what the heart is uh, reality, I think is what Kevin said. You know, that's reality of where we are. And the conscious more is uh, trying to basically gauge our motives and tell us exactly what we are doing, why we are doing it. So look here, I wrote down exactly how Kevin worded that in my notes here. But he said the heart is at the center of our spiritual life. The heart is the reality of who we are what we do and why we do it. The conscious, on the other side, is who we think we are and why we think we're doing the things that we do. So I think that was an important, that was a good analogy here of looking at different things that we do out of the heart and then out of our conscious. What would you think on that? Yeah, I mean, the, like I think Kevin did a really good job explaining you know, the heart is who we are. It's, it's the motives and it's... Yeah. it's and it's, I don't think it's I don't think it's insignificant or coincidence that that the Bible talks about the heart all the time. Yeah. Right. There's not yeah. a whole lot of from the Greek. It doesn't really translate into conscience a whole lot. Mm-hmm. It talks about the heart in the Old Testament, the New Testament. And so this is who we are. This is this is our motives. Um, and so going back to to what we talked about with John, like you know, if he says that if our if our heart is dark. Mm-hmm. You know, this is who we are. This is why we do things. Is our motives? Our motives are dark. If our motives are not pure, this this is going to exhibit yeah. outwardly in our actions. And I think that's what Kevin was trying to bring out there. Is so the heart is really going to show what he says right there, the reality of who you actually are. So, based on what you do, looking at your heart, if your heart hasn't been changed, then like you said, you're going to be of the darkness, and you're going to be and you're going to be living a life of darkness, living a life of sin. And then the conscious on the other side can maybe tell you, you know, our conscious can tell us wrong things and right things. Do you get what I'm saying? Like we can feel guilty about something that we do, or in our conscious we can maybe try to justify wrong things that we do. Do you know what I'm saying? But I think the conscious maybe is, like I said, who he explains it, who we think we are, why we think we do these things. But really, going down to the heart is really going to truly reveal who we are. And I don't, and I think that's why in in verse twenty he says God is greater than our heart. I don't, yes. I don't think it it's a mistranslation to say that God is greater than our conscience. Mm-hmm. You know, even though we kind of rationalize sin, or we rationalize what we did, or we try to rationalize our motives, we what like the heart, what our what our true motives are, yeah. even God can see. So and sometimes that, we don't even see those true motives. Exactly, and I think that's what he goes to next when he says, and he knows everything. And that was the point Kevin brought up too, is God knows everything, not just what you think your motives are, but like you said, the deepest, darkest motives of our heart, he can see those. Not just our actions of what you do, 
But he can see why you're doing those things. Even though we lie to ourselves or yeah. try to cover that up. Yeah. Or say, like, well, I'm really doing this because, well, for example, like, I could go up and preach a really good sermon, and I could sit there and, you know, tell people, like, oh, you know, like, hey, you know, this is for the glory of God, for the glory of God. But in my heart, am I like, I kind of like this a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And God, people see the outside, but God sees the outside and the inside. And to be quite honest, he's more concerned about the inside. He's more concerned about the heart than he is necessarily about your actions outside. Do you get what I'm saying? I mean, because I can can look any way I want. I mean, I can look as godly as possible. Mm -hmm. But when Kevin, I like the word he used, motives, when when our heart is what we're why we're truly doing something. Yes. And so yeah, I can I mean I can look like the the most godly husband, father, worker, whatever adjective you want to put in there. But if I'm not doing it to glorify God, I'm doing it to glorify myself and, and now I've made myself an idol or I've made my job an idol. Yeah. Where that that's not what we're called to do, obviously. Exactly. And I think that's the important thing that we look at is Looking at our heart, we see that we can see the nastiness of it. Because I think sometimes if we step back and actually ask ourselves, why did I do that? Or why did I do this? I think we can, if we dig deep enough, and a lot of times we don't want to dig deep because we're actually going to find out why we're actually doing these things. But if we dig deep enough, we can see the nastiness of ourselves. And he goes on to say there, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And I think that's important for us to understand, like, Thankfully, our heart's not the one that condemns us. God's the one that condemns us. So if we look at our heart and we see the nature of our heart, it may not necessarily be good, but God comes in and changes the heart. And we talked about this before, before we got on here. I think we got on his... Maybe it was was when you were explaining. I can't remember. But um, when we look at... It doesn't have to be... No, you were talking about this with John and, and Paul Peter. I can't remember. You were talking about before, but you said something about like, you know, that stuff doesn't automatically happen. John, John, yes, he's maturing in in, in his faith, and it's what I brought up a couple weeks ago when I saw a different. I saw a quote from, I think it was Alistair Begg, where he said, "God doesn't demand perfection, but He does demand progress." And I think that's what we're seeing here is why we why we're doing these different things. We can't just automatically just condemn ourselves because our heart isn't in the right place. That's a sanctifying process of, hey, that's not right, and that's a nastiness in my heart. For example, what's the, what's the scripture? It talks about, I think it's in Proverbs, where it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I always thought about that, and I thought, like, you know, when you stub your toe or something, what comes out of your mouth? Is it a curse word? Is it something like that? Like, or whenever you're in the heat of a game, and your actions just automatically come like this. That's revealing your heart. I think when you act without thinking, it's showing what's in your heart. And that doesn't condemn you because, you know, we could be saved and still have some nastiness that comes out of our heart, but we can look at, hey, God is showing us that to, hey, now we need to work on that. Let's, let's progress through that. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, and that, I mean, I think a, a good illustration, I used a good illustration, but like, you know, if I'm in an argument with my wife, Mm-hmm. You know, what what is the automatically the first thing that I want to say? Is it 
unfortunately, it's not usually very godly. It's not usually very uplifting. But that's that's the the wretchedness and the and the depravity of my heart is is that's coming out. Yeah. And so you're. I think you're right in saying like like you know that doesn't condemn us. And then John says we have confidence yeah. that that doesn't condemn us because yeah. if it was left up, we talked about this a ton time, ton of times before. If this is left up to us purifying our heart, yeah. No one is righteous, not even one. And so there's no way we could. So even though we have ugly hearts, even though that maturing is going to take a while, next verse, we have confidence towards God that He can come in and yeah. change us. And I think He comes in and changes our heart. And then our heart can, in a sense, condemn us in a sense of like the law is written on our heart. I mean, that's Scripture too. Mm-hmm. So the heart reveals truth. And I think Kevin's put this on here. Our heart does condemn us in sense whether we acknowledge it or not, because it's based on truth. Like the heart, our heart, if we've truly given our heart to the Lord, then our heart's changed, and that's what's going to convict. And that's the Holy Spirit living within us. It's going to convict us in a way to turn us back. But it doesn't condemn us to to the fact that, like, well, you're not saved. And I think Kevin brought that up, too, uh, uh, in his sermon about talking about if we are always being condemned by our heart, like we can have that. I think I was talking to, I was talking to Eric. Yoder yesterday, and we were talking about these different things, and I told him, I said, you got to admit, that there's there's probably times, and I'll admit it as a pastor, there's times where you sit back and you ask yourself, like, am I truly saved? Am I truly saved? Because I see the nastiness of my heart, I see the wickedness of my ways, and I ask myself, like, man, am I truly saved? And Kevin, I thought, brought up a good question. He goes, unsaved people don't ask themselves that question. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. In a sense of, like, if you're saved, like, you, you're concerned about your salvation. Do you know what I'm saying? And maybe not necessarily mean you are, but at least you're on the right track. And that's that. That was one of the, the pushbacks that I guess not pushbacks, but one of the things that I, I thought about when Kevin said yeah. that. Like, I don't. I mean, there there are there's definitely people that are not saved that have thought that before, right? And so I think what Kevin meant was that. That continuum, trying to mature, yes, and seeing the fruits. Because you can look at you can look at somebody that says they go to, they're a Christian, they go to church once in a while. There's no fruits, and then they listen to a good sermon the Sunday they're there, and they think, hmm, I wonder if I'm saved. Like I think that happens. Yes, but if there's no change in in action, or there's no change in, in motives, then I think then I think that's what what we're running into. When, because I, I, I guess I guess I don't. I, I don't totally disagree I don't, with him. I don't think we can say that if you're asking that question, you probably are. You are saved. Like I don't think we can make that type of bold statement. I think we can say if you're asking that question, you're on the you're, you're in the, you're on the right track. Yes. You're asking yourself because you're concerned about it. Yes. Because I but but I think what you're trying to say is too. We can also have that false assurance that we are. And that's. Do you know what I'm saying? You know. Oh well, yeah. I've done this. and I'm doing that. Like, yeah, I am. Like, no. Like, I, I don't think that's good either. Yeah. But there's that assurance that Christ gives us, where you've truly been saved, and that's not like Kevin said something like that's just not praying a prayer. You know what I mean? That's that's looking at our lives and truly seeing. Like you, if you read in the book of the twelve extraordinary men, or what is it? Twelve ordinary men. You read that book of twelve ordinary men. You see that they they progressed. 
yeah. as their life went on. So that shows that God is working in their lives. And that's the thing I tell people before. Are you still, do you look any different? Do you look any different from pre-conversion to post-conversion? Do you look any different? If not, now you can start to ask yourself, well, am I saved? Mm-hmm. Because if you are, like you said before, fruit will start to show and you can, you can do that. And like I said, just because you're asking that question, I don't think you are saved necessarily, but I think you're asking the right questions. You're, 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 you're concerned about the right things. You're concerned about the right things. I think that's a good way to put it. Then you go farther on and it says, um, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what we please. So this can be a very, uh, very concerning verse if we don't, if we don't understand the context of it. If we, if whatever we ask, we receive from him. I just saw a, a video here just recently, uh, Kenneth, Kenneth Copeland asking his congregation to put their hands on their head and pray that their bald spots would go away. They're asking, you know, they're asking God to remove, to, to fill their bald spots with hair, but that doesn't mean that he's going to Whatever we ask, we receive. It doesn't mean they're going to start receiving hair on those bald spots. Do you, know, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think, you know, if, if that verse 20, where we at? 22. 22. Whatever we ask, we receive from him, period. Right? We don't see a period. Yeah. What's it, what's it, what's it follow with? Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, what, what pleases God, <laughs> right? Well, well, filling that bald spot on my head with hair would please God, right? <laughs> uh, but you know, so what pleases God? So let's let's talk about that. Yeah. You know, we ask, we ask, um, whatever we get, whatever we ask, we get because it pleases Him. Yeah. Right. So if I ask for a new car or I ask for a new plane, is that what is pleasing God? Mm. Probably not. Yeah. Right. If I ask for more wisdom. Yeah. And, I and ask James, for strength to repent from this sin. Yeah. And because now my will is, is lining up with the will of God. Yes. And, and so I'm getting closer to that will for my life. I'm getting closer to that, to that will that God has yeah. for this situation. Yeah. And so I think that's, you know, if we, if we pray for someone to be healed from cancer, right? We can pray, and, it, and it, there, like I said, there's no period, because we ask for that person to be healed from cancer. Now, is that the will of God? And that goes back to what we talked about a million times. Yeah. Sovereignty. But if it does not line up with the will of God, it's not going to happen. And I think that's what it, that's what it does. So that, first, that part right there, because we keep his commandments. So if we're keeping his commandments and we're obeying God and we're following what he's commanded us to do, you're going to start to see your will line up with his more. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like God's will and your will are going to start becoming... You're going to desire the things that God desires. And I, so when you ask those things, it's going to be under, it's going to be lined up with what He desires. And and I'm glad we got we got to this point because I'm do, I'm going through Exodus mm. in the morning right now, and and it, it where I left off, the plagues happened, mm-hmm. and it talked about I'll talk about these plagues, and this was God's will for these plagues to happen. And so, you know, I was praying, and I thought God line align my will with yours. Yeah. Align our wills what, so that my will now becomes yours. And like, you know, I'm sure it's happening to you, like, you think like, oh boy, 
do I really want that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it's a it's a it's a bold thing to pray. Do I? And and that's exactly what I thought. Like, okay, I know that if I ask, I receive this. Yeah. Because I'm in the will of God, so so I, the will of God is for me to come together with His will. Mm-hmm. So if I pray, Lord, let Your will be done on my life. Take my decisions out. Take my comforts out. Let Your will line up. Let my will line up with Your will. Mm-hmm. That means, right, God's will is not for me to live comfortably in my little house with my wife and kid for 30 years and then retire and then play golf the rest of my life. Yeah. Like, I don't think that's that's the will. Throughout Scripture, we don't see that will yeah. happen, right? The will of God is for me to go evangelize, go make disciples. And then, like we talked about with Paul this morning, like, that's obviously going to lead to persecution. That's going to lead to death. That's going to lead Suffering. to sufferings. And so that's a dangerous prayer to pray mm-hmm. I mean if, if, if I really want my my life to reflect what God has in store for me like I said that doesn't mean teaching Abari for 40 years yeah. and then retiring to play golf yeah and so would that be the comfortable thing to do yeah I like I like teaching I like playing yeah. golf yeah but if if I'm really on earth to promote the gospel and to fully do what I'm called to do Yes, it might it might look like teaching bar for forty years, yeah. and it might look like being able to play golf. But I, it's not just this this white picket fence yeah. American story that we've been told and, 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 and bought into. It means getting out, being not being comfortable the whole time. Yeah, and, and it goes back to what I talked about before, like having that God centered mindset. If you have a God-centered mindset whenever you're living your life, you pray for His will to be done. And whenever you're praying for His will to be done, my goodness, like I would much rather His will be done than my will be done because my will be done, it's going to be, it's going to have all sorts of problems because it's going to be full of, it's going to be full of sinful choices. It's going to be full of things that are going to lead me down the path of destruction. It's going to lead me to not have a hope and a faith. Whenever suffering and persecution comes, like I'm not going to have anything to stand on. But if I pray the will of God and have a God-centered mind, then when I receive the things that I pray for, I'm going to be filled with God-centered things because my will is going to line up with His will as far as I want what you want, God. And when we can get to that point, you're going to find joy. You're going to find peace. You're going to find comfort. You know, you're going to find grace and mercy and love. You can fill in the blank with all those things. You're going to find things there that you're not going to find by just fulfilling your own will. And a lot of times, and you know, I mean, we talked about this before, the prosperity wing of the American church are praying, you know, name yep. it, claim it, yep. pray for my checkbook, and I declare this over my yep. bank account. Yeah. About to see your checkbooks, bro. That's a pretty good couple there. Yeah, I was trying to. That's not the will of God. No. Right? I don't think anywhere in, in Scripture people have been blessed financially just because they breathe air and pray. I've never heard this before, and I, and I even hate giving him credit because he's my brother-in-law. But have you ever heard what Eric said this morning? Like, Eric said, how can we as Christians... I, I, I was going to say, I was going to bring that up. How can we as Christians serve a God... We serve Christ, right? We serve Christ. How can we serve Christ 
who went and died on a criminal's cross, how can we serve him and not expect us to have any kind of suffering? Yeah, he brought up a good, good point. Like, you know, right now in my seventh grade history class, Muhammad is Yeah. And Muhammad went to the cave, heard revelation yeah. from God, from, a, from the angel, wrote it down, and then just kind of died yeah. the whole day. Yeah. Like, and we can look at we can look at religions throughout history that have been started, the Mormon Church, yeah, um, you know, Hinduism, and all these. Uh, the founders just kind of die and go away, yeah. and then then what, right? And so, yeah. Christianity is the only religion that the founder has not died. Yeah. And and I think Eric was exactly right. You know, if, if we follow Islam and Islam's mostly accepted in the Middle East. Yeah. And you check the box and you pray five times a day, you go to Mecca. There's not a whole lot of, of I, guess, I don't know, there's not a whole lot of uncomfortability. No, no. By being in a Muslim in, in Iran. Yeah. Like, that's just kind of what you're expected to do. Yeah. Now, is there uncomfortability of being a Christian in Iran? Yes. Yeah. Right? And because And it should be expected because like you said, you, you you're serving a God who suffered. Yep. So why wouldn't you have to suffer? You know, I mean it's just And we could say, well, he suffered the death that we were supposed to Yeah. That that's different. You know what I mean? He suffered the penalty that we don't have to suffer. Thank goodness that Christ suffered the penalty for my sin, so now I don't have to suffer that penalty. But that doesn't mean I'm call, I'm not called to suffer. And that what you know, I think we're talking about two different sufferings. That's what I'm saying. Right, yeah. We're talking about right now. We're talking about suffering on earth. Yes. And, the and momentary afflictions. The momentary afflictions. And I mean, if you read Paul, he suffered. He talks about suffering every other word. It seems like. Yeah. Right. And but so, then he even said today, when we read now Philippians one, that suffering would be granted to you, like as a gift. I mean, come on. Yeah. And, and then, you know, we brought up the verse for, for reproof and training in righteousness. And, yeah. And, and, and yeah. So. And a call to be a disciple, taking up your cross. You know, if if you believe in the Bible, and believe the Bible is inerrant, it's hard to read the New Testament and not come away with, this life is not going to be perfect. Yeah. And this life is not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. If I'm truly following and pursuing Christ, if I'm not, like, I think, Shoot, be Eric again. I think Eric said, like, if you're really not feeling any suffering, yeah. persecution, like you're just kind of floating along yeah. in the river, maybe there's a reason. Yeah, yeah. Maybe because that's where the enemy wants you to be. Uh, he goes on to close there with verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. So we see that word abide again here by John. Abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. So I think that's important. So in looking at your life, John, in First John, he's been giving us tests to look at our lives and see, hey, you know, these are signs that you've been changed by the gospel. And now he's giving us one here. It says, hey, if you've been abiding in my commandments, you've been abiding in my word, then God abides in you through the Spirit who He's given us. And I think that the Spirit, the Spirit we oftentimes forget about, but the Spirit is the one who guides us. The Spirit's the one who is showing us the way. Mm-hmm. You know, God in the Old Testament, Christ in the New Testament, Spirit's now given in Acts chapter 1, 
and now the Spirit's the one that's living in us to guide us down the path that the Trinity is, that it's their mission, the Trinity's mission to further God's kingdom. And now we've got the Spirit with living within us to try to push us forward. And I think that's the question is like, you know, do I have the Holy Spirit living within me? What are signs of that? Are you abiding in God? Are you abiding in the Spirit? Are you remaining in His Word? Are you pouring yourself in? Are you finding that the things that you're doing, asking yourself, why am I doing those things? Going back to looking at the heart of why you're doing things. And if you're doing those things out of trying to bring glory to God, bingo, you're on the right track. If you're doing those things to bring glory to self, we need to step back a little bit. And I think earlier when we were talking about motives and, and why I'm doing something or, or the person that goes to church once in a while yeah. asks, if that person is truly filled by the Spirit, there's going to be a desire to go to church. Absolutely. There's going to be a desire to get involved, get yeah. the Word. Yeah. And so the Spirit gives us those desires Yeah. that's going to further the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And, and Francis Chan writes a, wrote a good book called The Forgotten God. Forgotten God. Forgot. And so, that I mean, it, it talks about how... how you know, rightfully so, we focus on Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Rightfully so, we focus on God as a creator. Yeah. But the Spirit, the the third part of the Trinity, he just kind of redheaded stepchild. He just he gets just forgotten. Kind of gets forgotten. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, we have Jesus, but we don't realize like if the, if the Holy Spirit wasn't in us, we wouldn't be able to continue the ministry that Christ left for us. There'd be no way. No. There'd be no desire. Yeah. Right. And so. If I have a desire to, to read my Bible, go to church, follow Jesus, I should be thanking the Holy Spirit for giving me that. Yeah, because you can't do that apart. And that's what, that's what um, oh, Alistair was bringing up in his sermon the other day. He's like, with Joseph, having that God-centered life, Joseph, like, uh, he was laughing. He said, when Joseph went to, uh, when he was brought before uh, the king, the king said, hey, interpret my dream. I heard you can interpret dreams. And Joseph's response was, I cannot do this. Basically saying, I myself cannot interpret dreams. It's God who gives me the power and the wisdom to interpret dreams. He said, he said Alistair said, at that moment, Joseph could have been like, yeah, it's all me. I'm a dream machine. I'm a dream machine. He's like, no. He said, what does it say in John 15? Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so how, apart from the Holy Spirit, we can't do any of this and, stuff. And, how easy would it have been for Joseph to say, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah I can do it. Because, yeah. because it, that would have easily got him out of jail. Exactly. He'd been sold. Yeah. He went through Potiphar's wife. He did all this. This would have been his ticket out of jail. Yeah. This would have been his ticket to prominence in oh, the Egyptian kingdom. Yeah. But he said, no, that, nope, not me. Through God, yeah. I'll be able to do it. Yeah. And, and, and like he said, he understood that abiding... And I think that's where John hits abiding so much because, like you said, in the life of John, I think John understands that apart from, apart from God, he couldn't do, he couldn't be who he was. He saw that transformation happening, and he understood that alone, by himself, John would have continued to be that son of thunder that just kept bringing, that wanted to just anger and just wanted to bring down things. But God matured him, and God brought him to where he needed to be. And I think that's where we have to understand is, all of these things that we're talking about today, apart from the Holy Spirit, we cannot do them. We abide in Him, just as John 15 says, as the vine and the fruit. Apart from the vine, the fruits cannot grow. Yeah, and, and I, I texted you last night, we were talking about Paul 
this, when I read Paul, usually I just feel bad. Yeah. I, just, yeah. I, I feel bad about myself. Yeah. It's like, this dude, you know, prison, shipwrecks, snake bite, yeah. stoned. Yeah. And here he is ministering to the guards. And yeah. Like, that's his first thought. Yeah. I'm in prison. Okay, here's another yeah. couple people I can minister to. But then it's also encouraging because, like, this is to the point you can get. Like, oh, Paul absolutely. was a human. Yeah. Paul was, was not, like you said this morning, Jesus, you know, we can look to him, but he's still a deity. He's still a God. Yeah. But Paul, I mean, me and you, we're... we're Paul exact, sinned. Paul sinned. We're the exact same as Paul. And so this is a person we can strive to be, just like Joseph. Man, like, if, if, if I just got yanked out of jail and said, interpret this, I heard you can interpret dreams, like... Most of me says, yeah. <laughs> this is my get-out-of-jail-free card right out here. here. Yeah. So, you know, I look at that and be like, golly, I, I don't think I would have done that. But it's also encouraging, like, this guy's spirit felt. Yeah. Like, this is what I'm striving for, to yeah. be able to then further the kingdom. And what set them apart? What set them apart for Joseph? It was his relationship with God. With Paul, it was the Holy Spirit living within him. Mm-hmm. Same thing, mm-hmm. same, same, same being living within yep, him yep. And, and working forward. And Paul says multiple times, I'm the chief of all sinners. And Paul would be the first to admit that apart from, apart from God, he could do nothing. Apart from God, he could do nothing. And John understood that. John understood that, I feel like, better than anybody because he writes that so often mm-hmm. in his book. John, in John 15, like I said, and he's writing it again here. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So, brothers and sisters, today, as we wrap up here, today, as you look at your life, who are you abiding in? Look at your heart. Dig deep down into your life. See exactly why it is that you do things. And ask yourself that question. I don't think that's a bad question to ask yourself. Am I saved? And when asking that question, you're starting in the right direction. And you want to be pointed in the right way if you're asking that question? Look to Christ. Look to Christ. He went and died on the cross for you. It is now His righteousness imputed upon us. Nothing that you do. We've talked, we've hit, we've, I feel like we beat that like a dead horse here today. Nothing that you do apart from Him or nothing. But in Him we're everything. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way we can ever get to the point that John's talking about here where we can love one another and follow His commands and be the disciple that he's commanded us to be. You got anything else, Mr. Raber? I don't believe I do. Okay. Getting close to my lunchtime. It is. I'm getting a little bit hungry. So, guys, thanks for joining us today. Um, Continue to dig into your word. Continue to abide in the Lord. And uh, remember, let the Spirit guide your life. Make your will start to line up with his. How can you do that? Learn about him. Learn who he is. Learn what he's about. And we do that by reading his word and letting him speak to us through that. So thank you guys. God bless and we'll see you soon.